From activism to entertainment, health to nightlife, profiles and courage to travel, and so much more. This is the Jeff Hawker Show, LGBTQ news and lifestyle conversation for the Coachella Valley region. Here's Jeff Hawker. Welcome to the Jeff Hawker Show. We're so excited that you're with us today. And we've got a great guest that knows a lot about Palm Springs and everything going on in the city. But also, uh, Al Jones, he is the chair of the airport commit, Palm Springs Airport Commission. And we're going to find out how the commission works with the staff at the airport and how the interaction with the Palm Springs City Council. We're very lucky because Palm Springs is one of the only cities, one of the few cities that actually has an airport. Thermal also has an airport. But before we get into all of that, I want to introduce Al Jones. How are you doing? Very well, Jeff. Thank you for having me here today. And it's great to have you in the studio. We've yes. Been, we've been doing so many phone calls. It, it's nice because it really sounds more robust when you're in the studio. Well, there's an interaction when you're face-to-face that you don't have over That too. Yeah. I can say, hey, and I can pat you on the shoulder now. That's right. Because we're all vaccinated, and we encourage everybody out there to be vaccinated yes, as well. Yes, I am vaccinated. So... Before we get into, you have a plethora of experience in education and and also philanthropy. Um, let's before we get into all of that, you just came back from Puerto Vallarta. Yes, I did on Sunday night. As a matter of fact, and you're all tan and rested. I am tan and rested. It was a wonderful <laughs> experience. So I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Uh, I go to Hawaii quite a bit, but this was altogether different, and I can see myself moving there someday. Yeah, I think we all can. And what I tell people, I'm actually going next week. What I tell people, it's one of the gayest places I've ever been in my life. You know, we always thought Palm Springs was like the gayest Mm -hmm. place, but then everybody keeps migrating south because originally everybody was Bay Area, San Francisco, Russian River was the place to go. Right. And, you know, now we're, you know, heading down to Puerto Vallarta. How was the weather? The weather was incredible. It actually was great. There are light breezes. The water was warmer than Hawaii is. Um, I have to say on the beach, uh, we rented the chairs there at... The blue uh, chairs? No, not the blue chairs. Or the Almar. Sapphire. Sapphire Club. Because they were much more well, comfortable hmm. chase lounges. Well, they were. It was only ten dollars a person fall. per day, <laughs> <laughs> and right there on the ocean. And we would get there at eight thirty in the morning. We were the only people there until probably around noon, twelve thirty. I found out that most people stay in in the morning, but we were down there at eight thirty, having coffee and breakfast right on the ocean. And uh, I can't tell you within the seven days there how many people from Palm Springs we ran into yeah. on the beach. And how many friends we met as well. Our new friends, friends of friends. Well, and people forget, you know, if you haven't really traveled much in Mexico, you don't really understand how many cities are international destinations. Mm -hmm, You know, the the Puerto Vallarta airport has flights from all over the world. I mean, I've met people from South Africa there, Australia. You just never know who you're going to meet. That's right. And one of the delights for me, uh, relative to the airport commission too, was I was able to fly from Palm Springs on United to Denver and then Denver to Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. And so I was there within five hours. Well, one of the things, you know, I I love flying out of Palm Springs Airport, but what we've been able to do, because my partner lives in San Diego, Mm -hmm. is we fly out of Tijuana. And we literally, we have a friend drop us off at the border and we walk across. It takes you right into the airport. 
the flights are about a third of the cost. Mm. We're flying direct from Tijuana to Guadalajara because we're doing a little side trip. Um, for two of us, it was $175. You're kidding. One way. Wow. And then coming back, I used frequent flyer miles, and we're flying back into San Diego. Well, it was interesting because we ran into some friends, too, who were doing the same thing, living in San Diego or living in Los Angeles, flying into Tijuana. The interesting thing was for us to come back in the United States, we had to get a COVID test within 72 hours of departure. Yeah. If you come in through Tijuana, you don't. Oh. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Because you come into Tijuana and then you walk over the border to get your car and off you go. So I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. Do you know about the TSA pre-check? Yes, pretty much. I, I just went and did that. At, at Staples in Palm Desert, they actually have a little booth in the store mm -hmm. where you can go and get the TSA pre-check. If you're, f if you're originating international, let's say Tijuana, do you s can you still do the TSA pre-check? It, it depends on the airport. Uh, TSA is a federal government agency. Um, and in fact, where TSA is in, even at Palm Springs, that's federal property that we stop owning that where they are. Um, it really depends on the airports, what they do in terms of the type of security. Um, it typically, TSA is for origination in the United States going out. Okay. Or if they have a pre-check, by the way, there are some, the reason you can come from Canada into Palm Springs without going through customs is because they're pre-checked in Canada. Immigration, customs, everything else, and that's why all, everything's done in Canada before they arrive here. Yeah, it's so great the way we work you know, in tandem with Canada and Mexico right. to make sure, because that's the other thing, people don't realize how much commerce goes on. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people, if if you really don't understand the relationship between Mexico and the United States, walk across the border and see how many people work in each other's country mm -hmm. every day they walk across to, to work. That's yeah. true, that's true. What's Just as oh, a, hey John. A, a matter of point, um, yeah, the the TSA for the domestic, but um, global entry is mm -hmm. the program with the federal government that you have to go, and it's a much deeper level of them doing a background check on you. That's for entry, uh, and I and do that's have global for entry. The, yeah, the entry back into the U.S. that way. Okay. Not only that, uh, there's another way of coming back in. I was with a traveling companion who's not global entry. I am. He's not. So and we go over to this room. <laughs> no, no. What there is, you download called a mobile passport and you enter all of your data and information. And he was through almost as quickly as I was on global. And they have signs there at the Denver airport. Certain airports do this. So you can upload everything from your passport to your photograph. And so by the time and you, you, you can only do it once you land and you have four hours that it's valid. Uh, and we learned about it from a friend on the beach in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. And because uh, I'm just global, so I don't think about it. Right. But that, that you're absolutely right. That has to do with entry back into the country, global and And what does that passport. enable you to do? A smoother check-in? Avoid yeah, well, the lines. And, and <laughs> fast, but I thought that's what faster. TSA pre-check is. Uh, well, no, that's for if you're getting to the outbound gate in the U.S. Right. Okay. Um, in terms of going from outside the security perimeter right. to the gate, uh, it gets you through a lot faster, that's for sure. Yeah, you can spend an hour, two hours in line. Yeah. And I'm in and out in about 10 minutes with Global, no matter yeah. where I've come in, whether I've come in from Europe yeah. or anywhere else. And this mobile passport, as I say, my friend was using that, and that was as fast as what I was doing with Global. 
And, so do uh, we know a website we might be able to go to? to well, all of that's through the Department of Homeland Security, so you right. have to register through them. Okay. And by the way, there's only certain airports where you can actually go do, you have to do an in-person interview right. for global entry. That's okay. not at every single airport in the country. All right, so if I'm leaving this weekend, it's too late for me it's to be too, doing <laughs> Oh, yeah, too late. I, I, let me give you one quick story, because my former partner who died three years ago. That Wait, you back did. to me, this is my show. Oh, yes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. Go ahead. <laughs> what was interesting, we went down, we got the global entry down at, uh, we went down to Imperial Valley, went to the immigration center there as opposed mm-hmm. to an airport. And within five minutes, I had mine, and he, he was rejected. And he was rejected because when he lived in Palm Springs in the 1970s, when he was 22 years old, he had a DUI. Mm. And it popped up on his record. And so they said, you're considered a risk. He said, but I'm 62 years old. This was umpteen years ago. They said, doesn't matter. It follows you. If you want to go back to the courts and get it erased, we'll give it to you. Yeah, you have to have stuff like that expunged. Yeah, it's very, very strict. And that was when he was 22 in Palm Springs, if you can believe that. Wow. It's interesting because if you're an international citizen, I had some people staying at my house. They were, he was from Sydney Mm -hmm. and he got a DUI. But all they can really do is just send you back home. There's really not a whole lot they can do. They arrested him, but then they sent him back home. He wasn't like, you know, had to go to jail or anything like that. That's of my pay grade. I wasn't aware of that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so before we get into all the airport uh, commission information, I want to talk about some of the philanthropic work you do. Mm -hmm. Um, You... uh, are part of the Partners for Life Leadership Committee. Correct. Um, which, for Desert AIDS Project, which is now Desert Health, or Correct. DAP, I'm sorry, DAP Health. Great, yes. um, Which is a great organization. I've worked with them a lot, with Daryl Tucci, and mm-hmm. uh, John had David Brinkman on his show the other day. Um, what what exactly is Partners for Life? Well, Partners for Life is really a, a, an affinity group that's very supportive. It's $1,500 a year, uh, and it's really just your contribution at a minimum level that says, hey, we're here to support DAP and all of its programs. And it helps to support the program. And I think there's a misunderstanding that people have that DAP gets all of its money from federal government or the not state or the so. rest. It's not so at all. Uh, they t- The programming would not be successful if it weren't for those who are making contributions through the Desert AIDS, I mean, Partners for Life and other types of giving programs. Well, it's just like a monthly retainer that somebody would get for other services. Mm-hmm. It really keeps all the programs working on a yearly basis because what because we're seasonal, a lot of the major donors, they go away to whatever city that they live mm-hmm. in and they may forget about donating through the summer months. So that it, it keeps the flow of business going. Well, it does. And one of the things that always impressed me about DAP, they will service you and provide services to you whether you have any insurance or not. You can have no insurance, you can have Medi-Cal, you can have regular PPOs and the rest, but they will not turn anyone away. Uh, and they're available to everybody. And that, to me, is so critically important in the Valley. And God bless Annette Block for donating all the funding for the Cancer Center as mm-hmm. well. Because I've had friends that have actually gone there and got free services mm-hmm. based upon that center. Well, and I don't know if you saw the Steve Chase portion. I did a three-minute yeah, segment on that, too. you were fantastic. No, thank you. Uh, because um, I made a donation to DAP in honor of my former partner who died. Yeah, Mark Bird. Right, who's got, it's going to be the Mark Bird behavior. Uh, mental health clinic so once they get that up and running in another couple of weeks he'll have a formal name it'll be the mark bird um, uh, program there 
So, uh, and that's important too. Yeah. You know, it's when, when somebody like that has done so much throughout their life, it's great to have a legacy. It so is. their name is remembered. Mm-hmm. It is. So that's wonderful. Thanks for doing that. So you also uh, were on the board of the LGBT Community Center. Correct. Which, you know, being an openly gay man, that's probably a good thing to support all these gay organizations. Yes, yes. LGBTQ, as it were. Um, But also, you're also involved with performing arts as well. Correct. Uh, Virginia Waring International Piano Competition. Right, I was on that board for many years. Which is is amazing. I mean, they these prodigies that they bring in are phenomenal. When you go to, you know, sometimes there's salons and sometimes there's bigger right. performances, right. but you see these kids that are like 13, 14, 15 years old that are master concert pianists. Right, they really are. I mean, they've been they've been taking piano from the time they were four, many of them. Yeah. And I used to sponsor too, um, would house some of the contestants. So they're on alternate years, uh, it's whether they do the adults, the over 18, or they do the under 18. So it goes from time to time. So uh, I've actually had people in my guest room and two contestants vying for the same grand piano in my living room to practice on oh wow and so you you hear music 24 hours a day because they're practicing forever but it's beautiful music oh it is it's wonderful <laughs> i love it love it actually we're talking with al jones he is the chair of the palm springs airport commission and one of our great philanthropists here in the valley and just a really great friend We'll be back. We'll talk a little bit more about his philanthropic efforts and, of course, everything that's going on at the Palm Springs Airport. You're listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. The Jeff Hawker Show, casting a brilliant rainbow of diversity on iHub Radio. Now, here's Jeff. Welcome back. We're in discussion with Al Jones, who is a local philanthropist and also the chair for the Palm Springs Airport Commission. Um, You sent me like a 40-page bio on you. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, but I didn't realize that you went to school in Redlands. Yes. You got your master's and your bachelor's degree in Redlands. Correct. So are you native of Riverside I County? I was born and raised in Redlands uh, at that time in the mid-60s when I graduated from high school. I was accepted to UCR uh, and to the University of Redlands. And it was much tougher in those days to get into Redlands and UCR. In fact, to the day I was offered honors with uh, entrance with honors at UCR, because I had a 3.98 grade point average in high school, but Redlands, it wasn't high enough to grant me that. It irritates oh. me yet to this day, 55 years <laughs> later, or whatever it is. I can't even do the math, which is probably why they didn't to give it 4. to me. Right. Uh, well, very close to it, yeah. And I went to Redlands. I started working when I was 15 and a half. I was the first in my family to go to college. So that's why education became so important to me. And actually, every career decision I've made has been based upon a relationship because I was admitted to law school at UCLA and Hastings, which is where I was going to go upon graduation from Redlands. I was an English lit and psych double major. 
and I met my first partner. I was engaged to be married my senior year, met Dennis, who was a freshman, and upset my life that year in 1969. Well, you say you were engaged, but you couldn't get married back then. So. No, engaged to a woman. Oh! Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I, was I engaged. didn't know that. Yes, I was supposed to be married on March 22nd of 1970, but I met Dennis in September of 1969. And... Um, you know how things happen. He was from upstate New York wearing penny loafers without socks, and I fell madly in love with him. Well, anyway. <laughs> That's all it took. <laughs> so I decided I didn't want to go to law school. I, I wanted to go to Hastings, which is up in part of the University of California system. And so I yeah. asked the dean, could they defer my admission for a year? He said, no one's ever asked. He said, sir, we'll defer it for a year. And I took a job at the University of Redlands in their admissions office so I could be close to, to Dennis. And uh, fell in love with student personnel work. And then Dennis and I were together for 13 years until he died. He died at age 29, and I was 32 at the time. And uh, But we were together about 13 years. And so wow, I, that that's was rough a, when you're that young. Oh, it was, it was difficult. Uh, it, was, it was a bad five years between him and when I met my second partner. Uh, and then he died six years after we were together, too. So... And then Mark and I were the longest with 26 yeah. years. And now I'm dating a really neat guy. Uh, we've been dating for 14 months. But does he know about these other oh, ones yes. that have passed it's, away? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm known as the, yeah, I, I have to disclose the that. The black widow. Uh, yeah, exactly right. I have to disclose that within the first date or two, or it's not fair to that person. So he gets a kick out of it, actually. But, uh, yeah. But you... You really have spent your whole life and career around in, yes. in education. 45 years. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, the positions that you had that okay. kind of led you to where you are now to really support oh, education. Sure. Well, I started off at the University of Redlands in admissions and financial aid, the associate dean of admissions and director of financial aid. After 15 years, I went to Cal State Fullerton for three years, and then the chancellor of the state university system asked me to come into the central office. So in 1988, January 1st, as a matter of fact, I moved into the central office where I was coordinating 26 programs for 23 campuses, actually 19 at the time. We brought in three more campuses while I was there. What type of programs? Uh, oh, gosh. Outreach, admission, enrollment management, uh, students with disabilities, student health, student athletics, everything that would be under the portfolio typically of a vice president of student affairs on a campus or provost in some cases so i was i was the assistant vice chancellor for academic affairs student academic support a fancy yeah, title that's but, a deep dive into everything oh, about i loved the, it i loved it i was going to sacramento two to three times a week for years because i i was one dealing with the legislature dealing with budget i helped allocate out the enrollment to each of the campuses in coordination with uh, our analytic studies and the academic deans uh and there's I really how many universities in the system right now there's 23 um, we brought, I helped bring up three campuses, CSU San Marcos, Monterey Bay, and uh, Channel Islands. And you, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how do you feel about uh, Palm Desert being in the running for the next possible fall campus in the C CSU system? Well, I'm excited. Uh, in fact, I'm delighted. Last week when I was in Puerto Vallarta, I got an email from Joe Wallace inviting me to be on the advisory committee, which I'm just excited to be on uh, because this is the priority one Coachella Valley, which right. is working to really create the environment and the support in the legislature to make the CSU Palm Desert campus the 24th campus. In fact, I'm also on the, advise, uh, the uh, board for the CSU Palm Desert campus as well. It's another one of my activities. So Great. I think it's fantastic for yeah. every everybody would like to have a four-year campus in its backyard for every dollar that a student spends it tends to turn over about six times with the community and it's a it's really
really uh, quite a major thing. But more importantly, it provides access to our students in the Coachella Valley who are somewhat landlocked. Right. Large percentage are first in the family to go to college. They're highly underrepresented. There are not a lot of employment opportunities to go from here to Cal State San Bernardino, which is the closest, or to UC Riverside. That's quite a little schlep to do. Yep. So yeah. we, we have over 1,400 students already. Not to mention, a lot of those kids will leave the area for good right. yeah. with school and then a career that's not supported here because we don't have a campus here for right. those kinds of programs no, you're that we need right. for STEM. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think there are other uh, initiatives system-wide, or not system-wide, but within the Coachella Valley to try to expand opportunities to bring in other industries that would provide uh, that type of environment for students as an incentive to stay, get your degree, stay because there are opportunities here uh, outside of other types of programs. So we'll talk more with Al Jones when we come back. Um, he was also uh, the, um, you worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so we'll find out more about that. And of course, all about the Palm Springs Airport Commission. When we return, you're listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. Live from Palm Springs, the desert cities A to Z on LGBTQ. This is the Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. We're here. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> we're in discussion with Al Jones, and uh, we were talking all about some of the philanthropic things you've done. But you, you had a, a very interesting uh, experience. You were the project director um, for a grant that was awarded from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. Uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is highly supportive of education they have. Yeah, very much And so. one of the things they wanted to encourage California to do was to develop a longitudinal student statewide database. In California, believe it or not, one of the few states without a database. And as a result, we weren't able to track the progress of students from pre-K into K-12 into college and universities and employment. So the state of California had no way of knowing whether its investment in students at certain junction points was was adequate or appropriate. For, for instance, if a child cannot at third grade cannot read at a third grade level, the chances of them going on to graduate from high school is reduced. Re, uh, almost eliminated. Uh, if you're not at grade level at grade three, you're going to have a very, very difficult time. And so what they did, uh, they came to the, pri the independent colleges and the public colleges and universities in California and said, we'd like to put together uh, a foundation grant here and and they came to me to be the project director I'm known as a consensus builder and I have a reputation in the state having been in higher education for 45 years and doing a variety of things both here and in Washington and so it was a 19th uh, month uh, assignment and I got to pull together key representatives from the University of California California State University California Community Colleges the Cal independent colleges and universities California Student Aid Commission and others to talk about coming together at a table and saying hey we want to share our data this 
this has been a major, major issue, by the way, in here. You know, I, I, institutions do not like sharing their data. And this was requiring everybody to open up their books. So if I'm tracking a student who goes from high school into a CSU campus, I have to be able to provide those data so that you can track the success of that student. There's always been a natural distrust among higher education and K-12 in the state of California. Uh, there was an organization, an agency, years ago called the California Post-Secondary Education Commission, CPEC, and Governor Brown actually eliminated them, and I think we all supported that at the time, by the way. Um, but it was difficult to bring people to the table. So when I, the Bill and Melinda Gates, or the independent colleges, and UC and CSU, and the, we really call it the California Education Roundtable. It represents the CEOs of all of the segments, and they came to me and said, would you be our project director? and run this, and I said, absolutely. So one of the first calls I made were to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I said, I've read the position description. What is it you expect me to do? And they said, if you do nothing more within the first few months of bringing everybody from all of the segments to the same table and have a discussion without a, an agreement, we'll consider that a success. Yeah. Well, within three months, I not only brought everybody to the table, we had tentative agreement to support a longitudinal statewide database, which meant everyone had to agree to open up the records, academic records within, you know, regulations and FERPA and a few other things. So it was very successful. And then it was the governor came out in support about two months after this initiative began uh, and wanted also the state to have it. And by the time it came around, he was so in, involved with the uh, 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 charter school issue, all of their staff were pulled. So they were like six months behind. So when they were able to gear up, they took all of the stuff that I had been working on with my group for a year and use that as the foundation to move forward with their own discussions. It saved them about six months of time. We had, we had been addressing all of the critical issues of confidentiality of data, who has access, who doesn't have access. Uh, how do actually do you do this? It, it actually provides uh, opportunities for uh, schools and parents to track the progress of their student. If the student says, gosh, I want to go to a CSU or UC, but they're not taking the appropriate courses, A through G, exactly. you can look at their academic record and say, hey, this student needs to get onto here in order to be prepared. Yeah. So we can provide actually counseling. Parents would have access back to the information. So it's, it was a major step forward, and it's very close to, to final finalization, I think. Uh, the governor did put money in the budget to cover the cost. It's, it is not an insignificant amount to put it, together well, a database. it has to be. Right. So, right. so we have the largest school system right. in the country? Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, and, it, for instance, the California State University is the largest public four-year university system in the country as well, with 450,000 students. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a major, major initiative. I'm very proud of the work we did. Um, and then when it ended on June 30th, just last year, uh, we were able to file the final report with the Bill and Melinda Gates as well as the governor. But I had been giving him his well, staff. Well, that's what people that don't time. realize. Even during COVID, there was so much work going on. Right. You know, behind the scenes. Well, there was. I, where up until COVID, I was traveling to three to four times a month between Sacramento and San Francisco. Once COVID hit, we did everything by Zoom. Every, everything by Zoom. Um, and, and that at least we'd had the opportunity to be together as a group for about 13 months so we got to know each other very well it was a, a group of 12 that we met every month and sometimes uh, twice a month to keep them the ball rolling well and that's key if you want them to open their books and trust you that, that you're not going to manipulate their data they they want to mm -hmm. know that it's all going for a common cause right right so You've had a lot of experience in education. What made you want to be part of the airport commission? 
Had you had experience working with airlines before? No, but I was a private pilot. Uh, I used to do things just for myself um, back after my first partner died. And one year I decided I was going to learn to fly. Um, and then one year I was going to take Irish dancing. So I did different things. So <laughs> kind of a... You were Irish dancing on the runway. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm Irish. So there you go. That's, that's my first name is Allison. So and my mother was a McCain. But in any event, so I took flying lessons at Redlands Airport. Uh, did my, Which is a great airport. It's a great airport. And those days we had to check with Norton Air Force Base uh, because they took off to the east and we took off to the west and we couldn't see each other. And so we always had to make sure that they weren't taking off with one of their huge jets while we were trying to take off. And the, the landing uh, coming back was always fun because you would aim for the chapel at the University of Redlands. That was kind of your, your, your crosswind leg. Uh, yeah. And that was kind of cool. And it can get pretty windy over there, too. So well, you have can. to really monitor it what can. you're It can. Well, and I used to, I hated doing it. One of the things you have to do is, and did it over Lake Paris, was practice stalls. I hated that. You just pull back on the stick until, you know, you lose the aerodynamics and then the plane starts to plummet and you pull it out, hopefully. And I remember when I had the check ride also with the uh, FAA, I used to practice emergency landings at the same altitude. Don't ask me why. But we were doing the check ride with the FAA and he took me to some strange altitude and shut the engines. You don't shut them off, but you push them off. And he said, okay, land the plane. I said, no, you don't understand. I've practiced this at 8,000 feet and you're at 9,180. He said, no, you don't understand. There's a crisis when I tell you there is. Now land the plane. He used a few expletives in there as well. <laughs> I aced it, by the way. I Good landed it perfectly. But it, it, there's a lot that goes into landing a plane without an engine. You have no idea. Yeah. So no, I've always, I'm, and I flew uh, for all of those years for business. I was doing over 100 flights a year on Southwest while at the same time I was doing 150,000 miles on United. And then the years when I was doing the Common Core in, in Washington, D.C., that was another five-year assignment, and I was flying all over the country for that. So, so I'm sure you saw issues right. with the airlines. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and you said, I could probably solve that. Well, so when I came, yeah, when I applied for, uh, I honestly, frankly, didn't expect to get tapped my first time out, and I did. I think it was the background and experience, and people were getting to know me. And I have absolutely, it's one of the, t the highlights of my career is being on the airport commission. Uh, we're directly responsible to the city council. The city of Palm Springs owns and operates that airport, which also makes it unique. Um, but the city does not contribute a dollar towards it. It's an, what we call an enterprise budget. It's self-sustaining between what we get from the FAA, what we charge the airlines and, and passengers every time you get on or off a plane, to landing, to put the jetway out there. I mean, right. we, we charge for everything. And then in rental cars. Uh, well, we, and people don't realize that all the, t all the time that the, the plane is sitting at the jetway is costing them money. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really important that they're in and out as quickly as possible. Right. And, and the one who set the standard for that some years ago was Southwest. They did a 20-minute turnaround. That's when they came into the state of California when the majors were buying up the PSA, the Air California, and the Western Airlines, which we lost in the early 90s. Um, Southwest came in. But what their big issue was, they would do a turnaround in 20 minutes. That's a fast turnaround. Yeah, very. A very fast. But they were, the, long, the, more, the longer you keep a plane in the air, the more money you're making. Yes. The longer it sits on the ground, the less money you're doing. So I've, I've enjoyed this opportunity, and I've been chair of the commission for about the last four years, I think. And, and, and there's openings now, and I asked you about, is mm -hmm. there, is, you know, would I be good for that commission? But you're going to be terming out. Correct. I am terming out. You're, in City of Palm Springs, you're allowed to be on commissions for two, three-year terms. We have term limits. 
The airport commission has 19 members, 10 from uh, Palm Springs, uh, one from the county uh, supervisors representing the county of Riverside, and then eight from the other communities, um, Cathedral City and Indian Wells and Palm Desert Ranch Mirage and so forth. But even though the other cities recommend uh, their commissioners, it's our city council that has to approve them and do the appointment. But we do have a term limit, so I will have served two three-year terms. Uh, so I would have to sit out a year if I'm interested and then try to get back onto it or find another commission. And I have applied for a couple of other commissions uh, because I like the civic opportunity and giving yeah. back to the community. It's very important to me. Well, it's great because you actually have influence on what happens. Well, we do. I mean, we are directly responsible to the city council. And as, as is the case with every commission, uh, with the exception, I think, of the planning commission, we make recommendations to the city council. We do not make decisions per se. Uh, but we make recommendations. We just sent to them our bu- the budget, the estimated budget for the upcoming year, which has been very difficult for staff to kind of calculate because of COVID. Pre-COVID, we were doing about 2.6 million passengers. Yeah, it was all-time high. And then the following the year, it dropped to 278,000. Yeah. I mean, that's a disaster. But that was not unique to Palm Springs. Every airport was experiencing that. But I think what we're finding now, which nobody anticipated, just as I found and you're going to find when I was going to Puerto Vallarta, every seat on the plane out of Palm Springs and Denver was full. Uh, all the other trips. I went to Hawaii about a month ago, uh, again, out of, out of Palm Springs. Well, the airlines lost a lot of money, so they're trying to get as much profit back as they can. Well, I think what it takes, I think what the public doesn't understand so much, many of the aircraft were taken offline yeah. because they couldn't support them. They've been sitting out in, well, um, different airports, you know, where it's dry climate, typically Arizona and, and places such as that are up in Lancaster, Palmdale. So in, in that case... Are they still paying fees even though it's grounded and they're not mm-hmm. doing any service? Well, they're paying fees to wherever they're parking the plane. But since they're not actively flying in and out of airports, they're so not it's charging. So it's reduced. Oh, it's far reduced. Yeah. But the cost of having a plane sit and what they're going to have to do to bring it back online and make it right. airworthy is extremely expensive. And that's why it's going to take some time for them to bring those planes back and make them airworthy. Uh, and then to bring the flight crews back. You have flight crews uh, that are no longer current, mm-hmm. from pilots to co-pilots to flight attendants who were so laid off. So there might be some retraining that's involved There's going to be well. retraining, and, and they will do it. I think what they're finding, and we're finding, is the public is more anxious to fly now than any of us thought they might be. Uh, we thought co- for COVID, it would take a while for people to feel comfortable getting back. This whole issue of being vaccinated, I got to tell you, I feel like I'm kind of bulletproof being vaccinated. I felt good. I still wore a mask. And I will tell you, by the way, uh, the Mexican government is very precise about the mask requirements down there, even makes us look a little a little too easy. Uh, but even well, Mexico has far fewer cases of COVID than we do. Right, and far fewer people have been vaccinated. But it, it, that was the thing. Just real quick, is when COVID hit, Puerto Vallarta locked down. Mm-hmm. They were like, "We are closing everything," and that stopped the COVID from spreading. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Palm Springs Airport Commission. We're in the studio with Al Jones today. You're listening to the Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio.
lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. The Jeff Hawker Show, casting a brilliant rainbow of diversity on iHub Radio. Now, here's Jeff. We are talking all about the Palm Springs Airport with Al Jones, who's the chair of the Palm Springs Airport Commission. So we've gotten some great new service coming in here. We do. And it, it's difficult to get service into, what do we consider this, a tier two or tier three we're, we're, destination? We're a destination airport. We're not a transient. Uh, you don't come here to fly to somewhere else. This is a destination airport. But Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but we've now got JetBlue. We've Correct. also got Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the process of what it takes to get new service. Well, first of all, I think the listeners need to know that we have 11 airlines that fly in and out of Palm Springs, uh, over to 20 destinations, connecting to over 500 destinations. So I think that's important. Which means you can get anywhere. You can get anywhere. And that's really the the the. the program that we're trying to get out there with the marketing. People need, are not really familiar with what they can do here. They're still going into Ontario or Los Angeles or, or John Wayne, but they can do go, virtually go anywhere. I went to Honolulu from Palm Springs. I went to Puerto Vallarta from Palm Springs with just one change of planes. But no, you're right. Um, CVB, the Coachella Valley uh, vi- uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau, Scott White has done an incredible job. We can't negotiate directly as an airport commissioners. We can't negotiate directly because we work for the airport. But Scott can't. And, I mean, it's, that's funded, of course, by the, uh, the the hospitality group here in town. Right. So he can go e- each out. Each of the cities of the valley put in a right. coffer that's right. for do. their services. So Scott, I will have to say, has done a great job in encouraging and getting airlines to consider coming into Palm Springs. He comes to our meetings regularly. When the representatives, for instance, Southwest came, they came two or three times with the senior leadership uh, at the airport, and I was actually at the ribbon cutting as well during COVID, which was was awkward. But when they decided to come in in December, or they made the decision in November, nobody knew that we were going to shut down in December. Yeah, and that was kind of a, a, a through a little bit cold water. For instance, JetBlue was going to start nonstop service to Fort Lauderdale in December. Then they postponed that until March, and now they're postponed it all the way until the fall, until September, October. Yeah. Well, and the important part of it, even we're a destination airport, right. as you as you were saying, but the airlines have to really look at inbound and outbound traffic to make it lucrative for them. Right. Correct. And what we're finding with Southwest, which is great, they're actually, they were so excited by what is occurring already with the destinations of Phoenix. Uh, they were doing Phoenix, um, Oakland and Denver. Uh, They were doing two flights a day to Phoenix. They dropped it to one. They'll bring it back up. And I've taken Southwest to Oakland already and as well as uh, to Denver along with United. Um, What they're looking to do is to expand. And now they've just started service to Las Vegas, which is what others in our valley have been clamoring for. For a long time. So they're they're, But their schedule is a Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Monday. Nothing on Saturday. So that's where they're starting for right now. And actually, it was supposed to launch on the 9th, and they're going to do about 186 flights per month from Palm Springs just to Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is one of Southwest hubs as well. So you've got not only they think they could fill that many. How did that take so long with the demand being there uh, between these two markets especially? Well, because we actually used to have service to Las Vegas, uh, I forget the name of the airline, and it was not profitable. There was not the demand for it. So they pulled out, and nobody's wanted to reenter that market. And a lot of people from Palm Springs truly like to drive up to Las Vegas. They go up the back way up through Yucca Valley. Yeah, I don't. 
And yeah, I, I don't I'd care rather for the fly. drive either. <laughs> I don't I'd really care for it either. <laughs> but, but we have, you know, United has been adding another round trip to Denver. Um, Southwest is adding more tr- uh, flights to Denver. And uh, from Denver, you literally can get anywhere in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then others changes. Delta is increasing up to three daily flights in June to Salt Lake City. But they've also delayed going to Oakland. Uh, not Oakland, but to uh, San Jose. Um for a while uh, and American improved a lot too with the uh, when they started doing more service between here and Phoenix that gave you a lot of access that's to when their they, web but that's when they bought US Air and that was US Air's kind of routes right. so that's why they go now to Phoenix as well as to uh, a Chicago Dallas Chicago and Dallas yeah. but Dallas particularly well, I tell you US Air really didn't handle their business well it seemed like they they kept destroying their own routes Everywhere they'd go into these competitive markets and then they would lose. I had friends that work for U.S. Okay, Air. And I was going to say I, that's again just, above yeah. my pay grade and experience. Uh, I was I was focused on one, as most of us did in business. You focus on one airline. So uh, Palm Springs to L.A. Mm-hmm. Is that the the is American Eagle still flying back and forth? On well, first of all, Boutique Airlines was flying that they dropped out uh, because they didn't have the demand. That was an eight seat plane, by the way, and people who took it loved going to Phoenix one way or L.A. on the other. Uh, United and Delta both have pulled uh, LAX for the summer, so they're not flying to LAX. The last flight was on May the fifth, and they plan to return to L.A. on September the eighth. So right now we don't really have any service to LAX to connect. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's really tricky on the scheduling again. You got to make sure that you get the connecting flights out of LA to where you want, where you want to go. So mm-hmm. how did you fly to Honolulu? Was that via San Francisco? Yeah, uh, southwest to Oakland from Palm Springs okay. to Oakland and Direct. Oakland to Honolulu. Hawaiian Airlines. Um, well, I took Southwest because I wanted to go out of Palm Springs. No, but Southwest from Oakland to. Hawaii? Honolulu nonstop. Oh, wow. And they have flights to Maui and they had flights to uh, others. And they also do the inner island flight. I got to talking to the flight attendant who actually lives in Palm Springs. And he goes over. Uh, they go over. It's a four day trip. He goes from, well, he deadheads from here to Oakland, but he goes from Oakland to Honolulu. And then they do the inner island flights. I did not know that Southwest was doing inner island flights. Uh, and they're giving Hawaiian, as I understand, a run for their money. Yeah. In the Hawaiian I'm sure islands. they're not yeah. happy because they had a lock on that for decades. Right. Once Aloha went under, right. I worked for Hawaiian in the late 1980s. Oh, really? For about a, about a year. And, yeah, it, it's nice to see that there is some competition between the islands uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what's exciting for our listeners is to know that they can go virtually anywhere in the world from Palm Springs. And they need to check out the flights from Palm Springs, anybody who lives in the Coachella Valley. In fact, our marketing is extending out to people living in Riverside and Corona, even those Redlands, San Bernardino, Fontana, Rialto, etc. Why drive to Ontario with the traffic? Well, and then you you have to pay for long-term parking when you're there. Yeah, you do. You do. So we, we're very convenient, and it's well, we have one of the best airports in the world. So what is the best way to find the best rates if you want to fly out of Palm Springs Airport? Well, you can either go airline by airline. Um, I typically, what I will do, I will go to one of those consolidated sites like Travelocity or Orbitz. Uh, but you need to keep in mind, Southwest is not part of that. So you need to go to always Southwest separately, and you may need to go to a couple of airlines. 
like I'm trying to pri- I've already made my reservations for Puerto Vallarta at the hotel in December I'm waiting to see which is the best airline but uh, right now they're all incredibly expensive but Southwest hasn't posted their flights yet for December I think we should do our show from Puerto Vallarta what do you think John? <laughs> I'll be there. We, we could have another two hours of just listening to all the information you can provide, Al. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been exciting. I really appreciate the opportunity. Jennifer. Our pleasure. We'll have you back again very soon. If you want more information about all the great programming on iHub Radio, go to iHubRadio.com. Thanks for listening to our show. You've been listening to The Jeff Hawker Show on iHub Radio. Okay.